Lampshade Media presents live next month on November 8th. We've got Becky Brown, Peter Brick, and headlining Angie Healy. Make sure you make it out to that show. Who are you? I'm Courtney Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) Was I supposed to open with that? (laughs) This is Lampshade Media presents Search Party for Your Wife with Travis Haywisher. Travis Haywisher, welcome to Lampshade Media Presents Search Party for Your Wife. Hey, what's up? <laughs> There's no fucking way to start a podcast without feeling like a ding dong. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't ready for you to go into like full Wolfman Jack, like, hey, we're back. <laughs> I'm like, we were not anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I do have the uh, little bit ex- more excited podcast voice, of and course. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just well. Honestly, like I'm gonna spend at least the first twenty minutes of this podcast just slobbering all over you. So get ready for that. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> it's gonna feel great. <laughs> this studio is amazing too. I don't know if any of you guys have been here before, but uh, so much cocaine. <laughs> like it's just everywhere. Usually people put it. Usually people put it in like a bowl or like a mirror. It's just strewn about the carpet. Yeah, just we, kind of wherever wherever you can. That's a game we play. Yeah, sure. You know. And what's what's the game? Throw cocaine everywhere. <laughs> well, that's one, that's the first game. Sure. And then the second game is uh, sniff it out of the carpet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a fun game. The little the little, little carpet toots. Yeah, the carpet teats, man. Those will get you going. You're like, uh, y'all want to do a floor bump? It's as sad as it sounds <laughs> to press your nose to genuflect onto the basement carpet, <laughs> snort up it's, cocaine and cat piss. And it's funny, like that sounds so, uh, so like shitty, right? But like, I've definitely been filling a flask and spilled some whiskey on the table and been <laughs> right. like. Yeah, yeah, I'm not wiping that up. Sure, I'm gonna slurp yeah. that shit up. Like I've eat, I've eaten some <laughs> questionable food twice this month, and why should I make fun of people who want to snort five hundred dollars off the floor? Like, I would do that. Like I'm still, I'm still spending most of the time hoping I don't run out of gas because I'm trying to get near a giant eagle to get like two dollars and twenty cents on fuel perks. So yeah, sniffing cocaine off the carpet in hindsight is just practical. Well, yeah, it makes sense at some point. At a certain point, you do get to a point, though. Yeah. Like, before that, it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't make sense. I'm just kidding, guys. There's no cocaine. <laughs> like, what if, like, what if you listen to this episode and you're like, wow, this is them on cocaine? That's fucking terrible. <laughs> like, it's, even cocaine didn't make them interesting. <laughs> well, you're definitely interesting. Well, I can say man. that. Thank you. I'm going to get into my little uh, interview voice now. Okay. So like, you are uh, you you're you're a man about town. You've been doing shit in the city, and you're kind of like a like a I don't know. You're just you're you're just like a huge like pusher of Columbus or something. Like you just support Columbus so much. I feel like do you get that. Like do you like feel weird about that? Is that a thing? Do people mostly say I'm huge and then pause? Yes. <laughs> like you're like a really <laughs> huge 
I was thinking about exactly what to say, but yeah, you're 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 not tiny, but you're fit, man. You're fit. I'm like a hot dog man. That's what I feel like. Like if you catch me, I mean a little dad you bod, but you're me, not fat like me. I don't mean just I don't mean just hot dogs because that's a big part of my diet, which it is. I mean just if you see me, it's like I'm probably a little bit sweaty, like my skin's red and taut. And like it just kind of kind of just look like somebody put a beard and a shirt on a hot dog. Like it's just that's kind of the look that I've I've been perfecting for two decades. I don't know, man. I mean, like, what the fuck is somebody supposed to say if someone's like, "You're a man about town." It sounds like I wear a top hat and monocle and well, go, go to a place called the the Bunny Club or something. Like, I I am a person who has spent two decades uh, deathly afraid of a real job. Uh, completely adverse to anything that would make me watch the clock. So when I was in college at Ohio so State, you're an idealist, one hundred fucking percent. I mean, that sounds better than like lazy, but I think they're both in there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I went to college and got a degree. I got. I have a bachelor's degree that most college athletes take, so they don't flunk out. I have a degree in communications, which yeah. is mostly worthless uh what i gained though from going to a large university was everything outside of the classroom i learned that i was creative so i i kind of when i was 20 i learned that i could be a sports writer and started doing stand-up comedy in the exact same year so they kind of felt like two things that i was like well maybe these will just be fun weird hobbies that have just been like career and semi-pro hobby ever since. Wow. So once you kind of have, once you've found the ability to have some reasonable success doing those two things, you're like, uh, well, fuck it. I, I don't, I don't want to give up a life that feels, you know, fun. I don't know. Does that, does that sound crazy? No, it sounds entirely reasonable to me. I feel like, I feel like I'm doing it. Uh, in reverse of the way maybe it typically happens. You know, like, I know so many people who are, like, in their 40s even, maybe 50s, who were, like, they did, like, corporate America, and they finally were just, like, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I'm done. Like they didn't Andrew retire. Uh, Lundberg? Yeah, they didn't retire. They just said, I'm out, or that's it for me, or, like, I'm I'm going to, you know, ascend into the fucking stars, and that's it. And I think I'm doing it kind of the opposite, where I'm just, like, okay, I luckily found a way to to do something creative that moved the needle for me, and now I'm just kind of trying to like make sure I don't have to give that up. Well, have you always been like following uh, what's happening in town and stuff, or like when did that like uh, kind of uh, grow into it? Because like you're in stand up comedy, obviously, but you're also in pretty involved in the music scene, not like involved in a way that means like you're actually you know controlling anything in the music scene or sure. you know producing music but you're well actually i take that back because now you are uh with dick and jane which i'm getting ahead of myself i was sure. gonna get into that later <laughs> but um but i always see you at the shows and and you've you know you like you've been in a lot of the like you were like at that doc robinson uh uh, uh music video and like you know what i mean there's a lot of different things you're involved shout with. out to doc robinson there's a poster in the studio right now i'm looking right at it look i mean mel deserves credit for being a local music supporter too i'm looking around i'm seeing zoo tripping mr anderson george berry camp 
We got Orange Judio. Everybody's yeah. represented here. Yeah, I got a few uh, comedy posters. I'm uh, I'm like I, I ran out of uh, stickums, so I I got to put those up. It makes but... sense that the comedy posters don't stick as well. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you were to look at like what people are mostly like going to around town, like comedy would be the equivalent of the poster that doesn't stay up as long. Um, to I mean to answer your question, uh, God, I already, I already feel like I'm treating you like a Terry Gross that eats too much pizza. Uh, <laughs> To, no, uh, yeah, like I, I mostly worked in. So, like I said, I got a degree, degree in communications. Uh, I became a sports writer, uh, which is like the easiest way to get into something like that, the lowest barrier to entry. Um, and I, I did that. I did sports for three years and then transferred to the news side. But for the most part, like it, for eight years, I was working in newspapers. Uh, I was a columnist. I was an editor. I did some layout, and until the opportunity, when 614 Magazine was founded, I ended up making friends with the original editor, and I kind of just said, hey, let me be your entertainment editor. Pay me 100 bucks a month, because I want to write about music primarily. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and I used that as my opportunity to just kind of write about and interview whoever the fuck I was into. So, like, I interviewed Talib Kweli. Dr. Dog, um, Jenny Lewis. I mean, people that I probably shouldn't have been allowed to interview because it's not like they were <laughs> massive stars. They were just really, really something that I was into. And so a year later, I became uh, the editor-in-chief of 614. And and so really the last 10 years all started with that. And the, the magazine, <clears throat> excuse me, was a, was a reflection of somebody who was 30 years old and just like all of a sudden thrilled to be like, living in the city that I worked in, not commuting to smaller towns. Yeah. And just being like, and because I had been a stand-up comedian all through that time, but all of a sudden I just felt like this whole city opened up to me. And so the the whole 10 years of that magazine was basically just me being like, kind of what you're doing with this podcast, right? It was, it was me being like, I see a bunch of amazing shit and a bunch of amazing people around me. I just want more people to know about it. It yeah. just so happened that worked out well for my job because my job was to be the editor of this magazine that was only a year old during this time where the city was kind of having this huge renaissance. So so that's that's kind of where I'm at right now is that like, uh, you know, writing led to music, music and writing led to being more involved in the community. And it it, it made me realize that Columbus is just this kind of weird it's this weird, not quite big city, not yeah. quite small town where, you know, you can kind of just raise your hand and be like, hey, I want to do a podcast. Hey, I want to do comedy shows in my backyard. I want to, you know, right. put some art studios in this old toilet factory. And, exactly. and there's good, and you're going to find people around that are like, right on. Can I help you with that? And I don't think you have that in the more older established big cities. And I probably you find some of those efforts a little bit more contrived in other areas. And so that's the long answer to just sort of like, so any place you see me is, was not for work. It was because I was just like, we get to have this. We can pay $5 and see Lydia Loveless or yeah. St. Seneca or, you know, all like so many of these bands now that have gone on to have some regional or national success. That was all, those were all bands and acts that were, 
just kind of still figuring shit out and putting out local records when I first started. So I got, I feel like Columbus and my position in Columbus kind of got to grow up and evolve along with that. Yeah. And stand up, even though it was something I had been doing for almost 10 years at that point, stand up became kind of an extension of that. So like if I was throwing my own shows, you know, like I was trying to involve music. I wanted to bring those, those sort of creative scenes together. You know, I saw a show with you once where uh, it was at uh, Upfront, which is a, a great venue. Sure. Um, great people. It was with, uh, it was you and Corey Baxter and uh, all the other, man, I'm, I'm brain, I'm, my brain's going, going dumb, but it was with a lot of original uh, Columbus comedians, like people that like were like kind of like built the scene yeah. a little bit. And I would say like, I don't even know like what, what era like would that be the 2000s when that when you guys were starting with that crew yeah i i think i did i did my first stand-up set in the winter of 2000 I, I i remember turning 21 at the bar where the open mic used to be held on campus it was called the northburg tavern which is now just the basement of donato's okay and uh i think bill arendale was the second person i met and i think maybe bob cook and dan Swartout soon follow these are guys who've been around for a long time yeah and uh and yeah like they're i mean it's so hard to track sometimes it's like you've got weird generations you got people that started doing it 20 years ago people that started doing it 15 years ago you've now got people who started doing comedy 10 years ago who are already gone from columbus onto yeah. other cities or stopped doing comedy that people who are now kind of veterans of the scene don't even know who they are it's it's wild right well, what was the scene like then? I mean, was that, like, how many mics were there? One. That was the one on campus? I mean, I mean, I, I, there may be other ones I was not aware of, but, like, in terms of the other comedians, like, there were other pop-up mics that would stay around for a little while and they would go away. But, uh, no, it was... Because <laughs> we it, got at least five solid, oh, like, yeah. you can count on a mics and going on now but there's a lot more than that i think yeah it was definitely in a very very different place like the focus was less on open mics and creating stage time and the focus was trying to get booked gigs so a lot of the people who were doing open mics that were a little bit more established they were trying to throw you know little one-off shows in different bars and stuff like that and uh and i remember one thing that's probably different than now was that i even though the the open mic was on campus um there were I, w I was 20 years old at the time. I was one of the youngest people in the room as far as comics go. It was like more people in their like late 20s, early 30s, and I felt so fucking intimidated. So there really wasn't like a comedy scene where there's a bunch of different people around. It was like, okay, and once I once I did a few shows and realized I had some chops, I think they started to kind of welcome me in a little bit. But I mean, I spent the first three or four years of comedy hanging out with almost exclusively people like five years older than me. Oh, wow. So I was like a 20-year-old college student and, you know, like basically dressed like a bro Fred Durst. I was probably in like <laughs> shell toes and cargo pants, like a backwards Ohio State hat. And uh, and everybody else was like, you know, already in full Mark. paints such a great picture. Everybody else was in full Mark Marin mode. I, I was probably just like <laughs> inviting some girls to watch the show and to try to feel cool. And everybody else was kind of just like working on their art so it took me a while to get to that point yeah they say what are the, don't they say it's like uh 10 years or something like isn't that the or is it seven or who's they i don't know i don't know like i, I listen don't either to, i listen to a lot of uh of of comedy comedy podcasts like when i say i mean i mean to say like stand-up podcasts 
where the a stand-up comic is the host of their own podcast, basically, right. and they talk inside baseball constantly. See, I was going to say, this is the fucking trouble. I'm like, I love the idea of being funny with some headphones on into a microphone, but I but I told you before, like, <laughs> like I'm always worried about these things sounding like a weird like confessional that no one gives a shit about and because it, yeah because it can get inside baseball really quickly right 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 you know where it's just like because i don't know i don't i don't really want i don't really have a desire for people to know the deep deep annals of columbus stand-up <laughs> history i just want them to know where they can go see a show for five to ten bucks that's gonna and be where is rad. that exactly let's talk because i i would say that one of the first ones i mentioned is either uh the uh a show wonder dog's doing either uh the variety show or uh the uh one he does with dave berkey which is now called uh dave and doug right and is that uh, replacing an evening with that's the berkeys no 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 no, that's replacing um it's not you it's me got it it used to be it's not you it's me now it's dave and doug and then growling gremlin is obviously always a killer show um you know stand uh, up for choice with, yeah which is which not, which uh, not just is a great fundraiser but like just a super rad show and like yeah. the, and what they've built there was always kind of like something that i appreciate it extra not just because it's something yeah. that does well for the community but it's bringing stand up to a venue that isn't a stand up venue yeah yeah and, and like, ace is such a cool venue too it's great i mean ace of cups in fact now probably and hopefully maybe for the next years to come, people will just assume it's a venue that also includes stand-up. Because now, after yeah. a while, like people can be like, oh, well, you know what? I've well, seen a sh- good show there. Let's If I'm looking for stand-up, I won't just go to Shadowbox or The Funny Bone or the place that have been around right. for 20, 30 years. I might be like, let's see if there's something at Ace of Cups. Let's see if there's something. Well, that at- Shrunken Head, uh, Shrunken Head is a great rock venue. I mean, by any, by any uh, measure. Uh, they're doing great stuff over there, but now like uh, they haven't had. I don't know if they've had any actual stand-up shows, like book shows, but their open mic on Monday nights is killing. Yeah, like it's packed out. Like, you know, obviously, like any open mic, they go until one in the morning on a weeknight, so <laughs> right. uh, people bail out around eleven or twelve. But it's those shows where, like, if somebody said, "How was the show last night?" the answers would vary depending on when you were there and how long you were there because <laughs> you could go for two hours see nobody funny and be like fuck this this sucks well that's i don't think that's come true not at not at shrunken i agree sorry that's maybe more generic yeah to i want to call you on that one <laughs> two hours is a little bit much but what i'm trying to say is that like you know despite everybody's best efforts to try to move people around you know pro semi-pro novices like yeah open mics are tricky that way because you can walk in free and see some like amazing like oh, really yeah. raw, uncut shit, and you could also just hear somebody talking about their dick for five minutes. You know, it just there's no yeah. way to kind of, there's, there's there's less control, there's less curation, is what I mean. Well, you know, sure, like, because everybody has a chance. And like if you, like if you ran this podcast like an open mic, th- there would be like really big spikes and dips on the graph of quality based on actually that's not how podcasts work no not at all it's all about consistency with podcasts so if you have any shit for an extended period of time that's why i'm counting on you travis okay i'm ready (laughs) you cannot let me down here i'm getting all meta being like let's talk about podcast as a comedy show well i won't yeah well i'll stop i'll stop focusing on the early days and making you feel old and shit I don't feel old. I just feel I just feel better now. I mean, like, you know, twenty years of writing jokes as kind of this semi-professional hobby. You know, like I, 
I couldn't even I could I can only remember a few of my jokes from back then and so few of them work nor would I ever want to tell them. Cuz like can you think about how much different you I mean how old are yeah. you? How old are you? I'm I'm 38. You're 38. And I'm uh, I I also have Facebook memories that horrify me. Sure. Yeah, and luckily, I mean, luckily they don't go back 20 years to when I was first starting. Yeah. Like I could and, and I know that I was delivering them with the same confidence and hubris on stage. And now like if somebody showed me a a video of me doing stand up even while doing pretty well in that moment yeah i'd want to fucking die <laughs> well that's an interesting point and this is something i wanted to bring up because like you're you're pretty you have a pretty uh big presence on social media and there's always so much fucking drama especially with local like bullshit right like things happen but you always seem to be on the side of like can we get over this? And you like you. I've seen you come to the defense of people on social media, which you're very. Uh, you've got a very uh, like progressive attitude, and like you know you 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 know you take people to task for shit, which I think is interesting, and it and it can come off like uh, like like uh, like white knighting and shit, right? But you never seem that way. It's always just like, hey, dude, what the fuck? I mean, I. Do you, I mean, have you ever thought about this, or is this just yeah, you no. be doing I you? Mean, no, I mean, like, it's a no, thing. I do, I do, because you know, what's the what's? I mean, I told somebody the other day, I'm like, by nature, I'm a columnist, right? Like, like, yeah. like, like, I think that's all I ever wanted to be was a newspaper columnist. Like, that's the shit that I thought was cool. Like, you get your face in there, you get your name in there, and it's yeah. something that you're not a news reporter. You know, I wanted to be like, hey, I've got. I mean, before, long before the term hot take. I've got an opinion. Yeah, that was my personality. Right. I, I've always been that way, and like that was part of like the sport of debate. It's probably mm-hmm. what, it's probably what drew me to sports. It's probably what drew me to stand up comedy because it was like, I can have a voice here, and I can express something, and I can you know maybe relate to someone else you know in a way that they'd be like, hey, I kind of think that way too. Um, so I've always been. I mean, honestly, from the very beginning, and I'm I can be a gossipy bitch too. Like everybody can be that way. Like that's part of. That's part of the social network of whatever groups you run in. But from the very beginning, there was there's always comedians that are that that have a little bit more of that drama to them. And they're good comedians, bad comedians, great comedians. Like it's it's just part of like a social Well network. not just comedians, but like everybody. <laughs> well, sometimes I just forget that social that social media is not me on stage, and I think as a person who's been a journalist, had a voice in the community, and also as a performer, um, and now and when you add social media to that mix, which has only been for the you know second half of my journalism and comedy career, those things start to blend sometimes. Probably, you know, like yeah. like I like I wouldn't. <laughs> oh God, I'm trying to think of. <laughs> There's definitely some things that I, you know, have written where I was like, ooh, whoever's taking that as the words of the editor-in-chief of 6 of her magazine might be a little bit taken aback by that. Yeah. Versus, like, sometimes I've written something that I thought clearly is done in the sort of vein of the way a comedian would post on Twitter oh, or wow. Facebook. Oh, yeah. So and, you have an And for me, it comes there. across yeah. as, like... Well, is that like is that from the pulpit of the person who's also asking for suggestions about stories or who's talking about, you know, talking about the plight of Muslim people in Columbus, but also wants to make a joke about hot dogs and farts, you know, like right. the, those two things are a big part of my personality. Like I am I'm equal parts like serious and silly, but So when you're when you're writing, uh like 
obviously you're not writing for 614 anymore, but when you were writing for 614 and when you were writing for your earlier uh, columns and whatnot, is that like a thing you had to like constantly check where you're like, I'm not joking right now. This is not funny. Like, this is a serious subject. I have to be, you know, I have to adult the fuck out of this. No, probably not, because I feel like part of the personality I was trying to shine through in both was some sort of like folksy humor. Right. I mean, that's the stuff that I responded to. So. I mean, think about think about now, like John, like John Oliver, Love John is Oliver. currently a hero of mine. I wouldn't say that his standup was, which is also very good. But yeah. like, what John Oliver does right now, totally, is like the top of the mountain of anything I could have ever achieved. But I think it's the same mentality. The same mentality is like you want to take, like you want to be, like I was a kid who loved Monty Python. And loved Mr. Show later in college. Yeah. But I also was driven towards, um, oh, God, I'm trying to think of what else would be a good counterpart to that. I was driven towards, like, long-form journalism, you know, like Gay Talese, the stuff that I kind of discovered after college, and Hunter S. Thompson, which is, you know, kind of the, the standard for a lot of people. But, like, yeah. realizing that you could tell a real story that had seriousness behind it but you could still be funny, and you could still reflect real life, and you could still tell a story that injected something it's kind of real humanizing, in that. right? And 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 that's funnier. That's funnier, and actually is more um, is more impactful. It stays with people longer. Yeah, you know. So like, so now everything I listen to or ingest from an art standpoint is that way, right? It, like whether it's music, or whether it's documentaries or a podcast, like I want the stuff that has a a mixture of you know like poignant funny i mean like have you ever had somebody tell say a really funny thing at a really sad funeral yeah like yeah and that's the best way to describe like (laughs) what i feel like life can be at its like like easiest essence like that's what humor does that's what sadness does that's what connection does like it's also Somebody, a, it's a risky game too, right? Like, like I, I guess the stakes are higher at a funeral. If you t- you know what I mean, if you bomb when you're trying to make a joke at a funeral, it's like what the fuck, dude. That's true. What the fuck? But here's the thing, though. If you were <laughs> I, Todd? if you were I had, if you were it's definitely Todd. If you or I had a story where we tried to make a joke at a funeral and it bombed, then you turn that into a joke. <laughs> Because then the humor becomes I love awkward how humor. bad you fucking whiffed. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean that is I don't I most of my stand up comedy in Columbus now is shows that I run or that I've been specifically booked on, so I don't do as much hanging out with open mics. But oh god, do I miss one of two things? Do I miss seeing someone at an open mic eat an absolute gallon of shit on stage? Which is weird because I'm very encouraging of comedians, and I and I still am. You're encouraging of everybody, but <laughs> but oh my god, the feeling of somebody performing in earnest and it not going well <laughs> sends an electric charge through my body. Not because they're being humiliated, but because I'm like, this is just a moment that is its own. Like uh, Sumak Torgalker, one of my favorite comedians and old friends, that's out in L.A. right now. I mean, he would watch me slink behind the curtain and hide my face and cover my mouth because I was not trying to be mean. I just couldn't help it. It was like getting the giggles. It was like 
breaking on SNL. Like there is, you cannot compare the noise that the silence makes with anything else in the world where someone yeah. goes like, da 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 and they put the pause in there and they've got their face held the right way and the response is <laughs> nothing. <laughs> that nothing is so goddamn funny I could kill myself. I, it, it does something to me. And even better, which this happens to everybody and this is the best part about it, even better when it definitely happens to the best comedians too. And when my friends like Sumak or Brooke Cardis or Laura Sanders or Justin Golak or all these amazing comedians from kind of like my golden era of Columbus in the last five, ten years, even better when somebody you know that can crush a crowd for 30 minutes tries out a new joke and you just watch them go like, nope, mm, okay. <laughs> it's like fucking electrifying. So there, I don't know, maybe there's something about that, the idea of trying to put comedy where it doesn't belong and if it well, works, like, it comedy works. Comedy is kind of the, uh, the, the interruption of expectations, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll just uh, go ahead and slide this break. across the table. I'm like, I'm gonna get more whiskey to make this more interesting. <laughs> I actually like, I, and I tell this story because this is the only time I've ever seen it personally. But it was at a shrunken head, or no, 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 no. Back up, back up, surly girl. Uh, there was a dude uh, coming through town that was doing a roast. He was doing a care like a like a. Oh yeah, yeah, a, yeah. I I can't remember the dude's name, but he was apparently uh, popular enough that he was on. You know, he, is he, that the guy that did his set twice? Well, all he did he he came to Surly Girl and he literally just had notebook cards and he just with no affectation read them. And I've already told the story on the podcast, but like just read through them. You were hosting the show though, so it was kind of <laughs> cool. It's, it's a it's a story I should have saved. I for do you. remember that. But he just read them and then looked at the crowd and like studied their faces to see if it was funny or not but he read them with no like comic uh, interpretation whatsoever and it was like kind super, of super tight dude thanks <laughs> yeah it was interesting to me because he was like it's like it, it's kind of like i felt a little slutty about it because like yeah i'm being used you know <laughs> like yeah make me laugh like for him it was, <laughs> like for him it was very like uh sociological right like he was just like well, if it works with me just reading them I think work. so, because yeah, he was sense. hammering through them. You know what I mean? He had a whole fucking stack, and he was hammering through, and he wanted to find out just what lines were the funniest. Right. So it was totally scientific for him. Yeah. And he didn't give a shit because it was the back room of Surly Girl. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, that. I mean, that's the funny part, right, is that everybody, like, stand-up comedy is definitely not universal, and everybody has their own sort of, like, pathway to it. Um. Yeah, you bring up a good you bring up a good point. Like, this is me getting older, I think. Yeah, and because there's just so much shit that you can be entertained by. Like, I could be like, like I could be reading a book. <laughs> that sounds dumb, but it's like I could be reading a book. I could be swinging a golf club. I could be listening to a podcast. There's so many different things that compete for attention in ways they didn't when I was younger, where it was just like sports, comedy, and that was it. That yeah. was everything. Um. I'm no longer interested in watching anyone perform anything if it doesn't look to me like they're enjoying themselves. Oh yeah. So I, and I'm not saying it's it's bad. I'm just saying like for me that like I don't want yeah. to see people take a scientific approach to comedy. Not that they shouldn't. No. It, well, he obviously it's just no longer for me. Obviously, he wasn't doing that as the show. He just was randomly in town and needed to like work sure. some material. But like, but I, but I always struggle on with what that. you're saying. Like, 
to take that a step further, people that aren't performing, I'm incredibly entertained watching people that are not performing for me that are just really fucking good at what they do. I don't give a shit what it is, to be honest, like because I'm, yeah. a, I'm a carpenter and I work with a lot of different tradesmen. And every once in a while, I'll be working with whatever random ass tradesman that's like really fucking good and just is like doing something amazing. And I'm just like, fuck, yeah, dude. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it, it <laughs> and is, they love it. You're right. That's a big part of it is they are into it. Part of the gift of I, I feel like the gift of being around that is that you get to watch people be great. Right, exactly. And, and when I say great, I don't even mean like consistently great. I mean you literally, you literally get to watch people that you're are your friends or just peers have like a truly great moment, mm-hmm. relatively routinely. Yeah, that so many people in the world would never get. Yeah, you know, and like, and I try to think about that sometimes, and maybe like if if I ever did some sort of <laughs> scared straight program for little comedians. <laughs> I'd be like, where you're trying to scare them out of. You want to be like me, motherfucker? Yeah, no. Um, give me your shoe. Uh, that's a callback to an old Bill Arendelle joke. If you're listening, um, <laughs> it would be like, hey, you get caught up in whether you had a good set, bad set, great set, whether you're getting booked enough, whether you're getting enough stage time. And this probably makes me sound like you know, fucking hippie, you know, grandpa. But like, even on your, even in your worst set of the week. The best joke you landed gave you a feeling that almost no one else fucking gets, which is like a room full of people that don't know you laughing at what you said. That's like drugs. Yeah, like I, that's, I can that's only nuts. imagine. Yeah, I mean, you'll never feel it, but <laughs> um, but you, you know, you could you could build the fuck out of a house that somebody could like perform in and then get laughs. You know, you can. <laughs> I get I I, I, I do I do get a lot of satisfaction from my job and like uh, it it has I've definitely had those moments of uh, immediate uh, feedback you know where I'm like in the middle of doing something and somebody's like damn you know or that's fucking great or what are you doing there like I've never seen that technique or whatever and that kind of shit is like yeah. really uh, you know affirming and like it just like you know gives you gives you a little uh, rise the rest of the day. Do you, I mean, <laughs> do you ever think about? Like how many people don't get to feel that at all, like that that even yeah. slight little bit of positive, like, like reaffirming or that affirmation, like yeah. I'm not saying I have numbers on that. I'm not gonna give you like a PDF. I just mean like, truly, I, I don't know. I mean, my my dad works in education now. He's he was a teacher, then a hog farmer, then a teacher again, which just probably explains why his <laughs> oldest son was a sports reporter, editor, and now, like, works for a nonprofit and a stand-up comedian. But um, we were having this discussion about kids, like, the younger generation of kids um, not wanting to work. And I was like, no one wants to work. <laughs> we want we want to feel valued. We yeah. want to feel like we are serving some sort of a purpose, that, that, that a skill that may or may not be unique to us, but a skill that we possess has like a, a value and an application in the world yeah that's what really drives american work ethic not just like work 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 is great because i work and i'm great because i work you know what i mean well, like that's it's, i think that's the, the the whole crux of the problem uh when it comes to that because uh well for instance my grandpa my grandpa milliman he never missed a day of work he never he never missed a he had a a, a couple of uh you know things on the wall that said he'd never missed a day at church and you know what I mean? He'd been to all the things, and he never was late. And like, and he showed up, and he put his uh, his aid in, you know, at a factory somewhere in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, I think they made formaldehyde there because my dad also sure. worked there. 
uh, you know, he got him in there, and my dad worked in that factory. That's and, like, where they made injuries. He showed up on time. and Very he, dangerous. But, like, seriously, like, it was just like you show up, you do your job, you come home, and then you do things you like. And that's the way life is. Yeah. And you, you hate yourself at work, and then you enjoy yourself when you're not at work. And I want to make sure that that doesn't come across as, like, don't do anything you don't like. That right. is not a reality right. for the majority of people in our country. I just kind of thought, like, let's not get it twisted that, like, if everybody loved working so much, then we would basically just shoot everybody in the head when they retired. Instead of all of a sudden being like, now that I'm retired, I don't have to worry yeah. about money. I'm going to do the things that make me feel valuable oh, yeah, or right. things that I enjoy. Right. So, like, so we do this weird thing where we go, well, that person's 25 and they don't want to work. Well, that's shitty. Yeah, the person that's 45 doesn't want to work either, or 65. We just tell them at a certain point they are not they don't have to work anymore and we'll make sure they don't die. Well, I just don't think hungry. it's I don't think it's that 24-year-olds don't want to work and I, and I hate this millennial like fucking bullshit, right? But like yeah. I'm an elder millennial technically uh, according to uh uh oh, Jesus. I'm yeah, they tried to tell me that I like by the by the internet definition I slipped in the the back year there, but I refuse to say I am. Not because of the stigma, <laughs> just because I think you can't lump in a person who went to college with a VCR and came out with a cell phone <laughs> in the same category of people that are like, you know, had, yeah. their, had yeah. their fucking like people who are now able to talk and their birth announcement was on Instagram. Like that's a, I'm not from the same generation as. Well, I, I just think that there was like a more industrialized uh, education system and like people were trained to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, just cogs in a machine like for a lot of the uh the you know early part of uh, the 1900s in america sure like, you know and then it, when you get into the 60s and 70s it's kind of like no love becomes a thing passion becomes a thing right like it's like it's almost like that stuff was almost like that was artsy fartsy bullshit back in the fucking yeah. 40s and 50s or something i mean that's my somewhat ignorant like i'm just a fucking 30 year old guy that has a podcast studio in his basement what the fuck do i know Dude, i'm just a retired central but... ohio columnist <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's the beauty of it right like i'm not an, i'm not an authority but god damn it i have an opinion yeah i mean well but now like people are people are like I, I feel like the kids are more like wanting to do things that they that, that make a difference and and you know actually like add something to society uh, that they're giving themselves right not that they're, yes. like, producing for someone else and, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. Well, and they still have the same respect for their dads, uncles, grandpas, grandmas, and moms that taught them woodworking or taught them how to fucking cook, you know? Like, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, if, if millennials were so scared to work, then why would we have, like, 23-year-olds becoming sous chefs? Mm-hmm, exactly. Shit ain't easy, and it's definitely not high-paying. So, I mean, like... Uh, to me, I, again, I, like I said, I'm not uh, an expert. I'm not like a, you know an anthropologist or a, you know a sociologist. But like, I in fact, I don't even know if those are the right words to use for that, those studies. <laughs> well, we've had a few um, glasses I, of whiskey. Like I said, I'm, I'm a <laughs> columnist. But like that's but that's what people are looking for, and that's that's also what comedy is too, right? That's what performing is. Right. I fucking hate when performers start to get to this point, and it does happen in stand up, where they start to feel like what they get to feel is something they deserve to feel because they've decided to be a comedian or because they've quote put in the work. Mm. It's not the way it works. Entitlement. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the way it works. Like right. your job is to make the audience laugh pure and simple. That's it. You can decide how to do that. You can decide the best way to do that. And as after you get more practice, 
you figure out a way to do that in a in a way that also feels very much like you in yeah. your voice. But I mean, like I luckily I don't hear it that much. But like I stopped tolerating a long time of like mm, shitty crowd, weird crowd. I'm like, nope, you just can't say that. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you say that you did a bad job, right? But like, right. but like, it's a, it's a strange. It's it's one of the only things where like, because music is also different. You can go play music in front of people who are not paying attention at all, and still play a killer set. Yeah, you can close your eyes, you can connect with your bandmates. Yeah, and you can just say, and do it for you. Yeah, you can just say, "Fuck it, and we're gonna burn this thing down." Comedy does not work that way. The audience is your bandmates, <laughs> and it's the audience. Yeah. And if you don't get them, you didn't have a good set. That's just the only way it goes. So, like, right. I was telling somebody the other day when they were asking me about it, I said, it's is a strange dichotomy because you have to do it knowing that it's only for the audience, but you have to also write jokes as if they don't get a say in what you write. Mm. So it has to please them. Yeah, but it also cannot be dictated by them. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, because people can smell a uh, 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 a pander. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you gotta, yeah, makes sense. I mean, that's pretty scientific for for <laughs> compared to what you were saying earlier. That's true. <laughs> like you've, I you've think noodled about it all out the, the whole the whole uh, formula. <laughs> I think about it all the time. I just don't want to talk about it because then we sound like dicks. <laughs> you know how many? You know how many scientific conversations i've had over beer and whiskey after poorly attended local comedy shows it's, it's been the last two decades of my life i actually probably would love to like watch one of those like fly in the wall style because like i feel like comedy like one of my biggest uh nerd out like stoner things to talk about is like sociology and like uh basically how what, what makes people think the way they think what makes people react the way they react and and you know all of that weird shit right? right the way like people don't know why they actually like you know the football team they like they just have always done it but it you know they I mean there was a thing sure. there was a, a seed that was planted at some point right anyway that's the same for every idea you have and like com com it seems like comedians like have some some sort of special insight into that into what the zeitgeist is of a society so i like i just fucking love listening to comedians talk about that type of shit because i feel like even if they're like bullshitting themselves about why their set sucked that night they still have a pretty good understanding of like what it was if they're you know if they're good right yeah, right yeah, you definitely have that when people you know like I said, that's that's a good way to tell who's good or is on their way to being good is like how they react to a bad set. Yeah, because if it's like, yeah, I shouldn't have told the uh, the uh, the atheist joke at the uh, to all these Christian people or something like that, right? Or or just been like, I told it because I thought it might work and it didn't. Oh well, on to the next one. Like it's yeah. very different than you know, like blaming the audience. Because <laughs> yeah, because the audience paid to be there. Like, or or, <laughs> or even if they didn't, it's like it's just. They're they're integral, right? Like they're they're integral part of. You can't get that drug without that group. Right, right, right. They're you, you part can't of the tell deal. those jokes to your friends or to yourself or in the mirror and get the same feeling. So if you want that drug, yeah, they're part of it. So you got to find some, and, and the best comedians obviously have the most seamless way of being like, I'm going to tell you some stuff that you don't even know that you want to hear or agree with, but when I say it, I have a pretty good idea that you're going to see the logic in it or the relatability in it and also i've found some way to kind of like plant a little surprise in there for you, you know, i mean that's, yeah that's 
that's kind of like the best ones do that. Yeah, callback. <laughs> so how I'm curious, like how is we talked a little bit about how comedy uh, affected your your writing and in, in, in as far as uh, newspapers and stuff like that. How is uh, how is your writing in for like six one four and columns and such uh, affected your comedy? Oh, I mean, you know, I think I realize that sometimes things that uh i don't know i guess all comedians are storytellers this this makes me feel a little bit like an old man but i get it from my dad yeah um who was probably an old man before he was an old man but like you've got those stories that you kind of tell not to everybody or all the time but you got kind of those stories that are just kind of like yeah they're for me they're true stories but they're kind of just in your toolkit right yeah yeah i definitely have a few stories packed away and so I think without thinking about it for a while, I probably use those stories in certain ways as uh, central devices for a column. So, you know, if I was if I was writing like uh, I remember one of the first columns I wrote for 614 was uh, about a cover story we wrote called Why is Columbus so gay? And it was, you know, meant to be a little bit. I thought it was th- that was kind of like my comedian coming through, just like we could do this in a way that like everybody would be like, ah, I see what they're doing there, because the whole article was this huge celebration of how the LGBTQ plus uh, community had built whole cultures and built German village and you know all, yeah. all this history and how Columbus became this gay mecca, and there's a little kind of wink in there of like, okay, I think most people will really get it, and I remember writing a column saying that. Uh, I had never met a gay person until I came to Columbus. And then, like, the second line was like, well, I have. I just didn't know it. So, like, uh, I don't I don't know if I would have written the same way if I hadn't also been learning to perform at the same time and learning the rhythm of jokes and how you kind of, like, pull somebody in with a sentence. You know, how you ta- how you tag a joke, how you create a punchline. Like, like, jokes and columns in that way are very similar. Like, you have a – you have an idea you want to get across – and typically, you want to get across that idea in an impactful or kind of poignant way, but it's got to also be a little bit kind of like rhythmic, you know? Yeah. So, I, but I mean, I but I I realized I think after a while, and it's funny. I don't know when it happened exactly, but um, I noticed that uh, some of these stories that I might have written in opening volleys for six one four, I was like, wait, how the fuck have I never told these on stage? <laughs> So I just recently started leading off sets with um, a joke that I've never, I mean, it's a joke that barely needs to be written. It's just my actual life. (laughs) And I I tell it in that very real way. And I come out on stage and I say, uh, my parents are cousins. And I follow that up by saying that's a weird thing to say into a microphone in front of strangers because it's true. I've I've heard you do this. Yes, and it's yeah. it, and the thing is that like that's a new joke, but that's not new to my life. In fact, I've tried to write other jokes about it in the past. Instead, at nearly forty years old, it manifested itself almost fully formed right out of my brain. Oh wow! The same way I would have written like a funny column like David Sedaris, right? Or yeah. like or like, you know, somebody in McSweeney's or the Onion. Like I was just like, you know, I'm trying trying to think of even what the punchline is now. There's a couple <laughs> several different lines in it, but oh, yeah, I tell the I tell a real story that I've been telling in conversations for years cuz I find it so hilarious 
And never once in almost 20 years of being a stand-up comedian and a writer have I written about it or told a joke about it. Wow. And it's a true story. It's so rare to find that kind of virgin material in your uh, repertoire, right? Right. It's because you're not thinking about it the same way. And the the story is that I I was in this... Uh, they put me in the gifted and talented program, which I don't think back then really had a huge bend towards creativity. So I look back now and feel like I was just the dumbest smart kid <laughs> because everybody in that class <laughs> was really fucking advanced. And I was probably just talking a lot and, you know, putting down the roots of a future low paid Central Ohio newspaper columnist. Uh. But in that class, we, in that class, we, uh, they had kids do a genealogy project. That was literally like the cornerstone project of the class. It was like, okay, oh, we're going to teach kids research skills and teach them to use the encyclopedia. This is pre-Google, obviously. Uh-huh. And we're going to teach them um, through the history of their family how to you know, put together like this sort of giant project and tell people where they came from. And I was like all about it. I'm like, I'm like hey, turns out down on the farm, we had all kinds of like data for this. Like we had old books from like the eighteen hundreds, like ledgers from like my grandparents, all this stuff. But my parents are second cousins once removed. Uh, and you you found are you the first one that found that out or were they oh, hiding no. that from you or what? No, because I come from a I come from a dude who would joke about that shit all the time. My dad would joke about it constantly. Okay. So, so I probably partially knew. Oh, yeah, and I probably partially learned to be a comedian because I was forced to laugh that shit off when you're, like, six. <laughs> and joke's on you, Dad, because so, now I stand up in front of strangers all the time and I can write my own jokes, so. So that is the great, like, uh, therapy uh, issue that uh, pushed you into comedy, uh, where... <laughs> exactly. And, and like, I, and I remember because that was not a big shocking secret in my family and I knew it. And that's and and this is the part. This is weird. I'm telling a fucking bit, but it's it's only appropriate to to how well, it came. Well, it was about. a conversational bit before it was a comedy bit. Exactly. So this is fair. And it, and, it didn't, <laughs> and it didn't get turned into a bit as much as it's it's just what I would say when I would tell this story. Um, actually, I think the only thing I added was I said like you know, which this was true. It's <laughs> the most honest I've been on stage. I said when I started thinking about it as an adult, I was like, wait, obviously that's really fucking weird that my parents are related and it's something that literally the comedy world jokes about all the time so is the and like this is my internal dialogue Could this be funny yeah no it, my internal dialogue <laughs> was like is this is this is this bad am i bad am i and then this was and this is the this is the best way to explain how i am the way that i am my my response internally to that internal dialogue was well, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm awesome. <laughs> and I was like, You're wait. You're so well adjusted. I know. And I was Jesus like, Christ. And I was like, wait, that's what's wrong with me. My parents didn't create like a monster with six heads. They created something worse, which was a very loved, well adjusted person who was like, wait till the world gets a load of me and my fucking half baked opinions and bits. <laughs> like, that's how you make a stand up comedian. And, I, and well, I, like, okay, so like every other comedian, I feel like I've talked to, and most like national comedians that I listen to, all are fucked up. Like everybody's got something that like has affected them in a big ass way, and comedy has been the way they deal with it, right? 
That's so yep. common. That's yep. it's a super trip. So like, what the fuck is your deal? I'm a fraud. You just uh, you just uh, you just like sneaking in here and like. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I didn't actually meet the prerequisite, but nobody noticed. Definitely, <laughs> yes. I'm like, have you ever talked to a therapist? Yeah, yeah. very, very recently though. Yeah, very okay. recently. I mean, you know, I, I have a, I have a, a, a friend that recommended this guy. He's an experimental therapist. Dude, this would be great because now that I don't work uh, full time anymore, like I, I don't have health insurance, so I would. Well, love... this guy is very, very affordable, and he only works by phone. Look, only the best do. <laughs> Let's give him a try. Yeah, he only works by phone. His name's uh, Terrence Bjornis, Doctor Terrence Bjornis. I sure. think. I, I think he's the a doctor, doctor goes without saying. What it is may. he going to help me figure out how to get more fucked up so I can be funnier? Well, I think that is what is needed here because uh, clearly, like, you've got it way too together. Because if I'm this funny while being well adjusted, wait till bad shit happens. I'll well, basically be on top of the comedy. Here's the thing I years. worry about: is like, you know, your parents were related, and you just might not realize how fucked up you are yet. No, I think I do. I think I'm starting to realize that. Like, no, wait, they created a narcissist. It was way worse. <laughs> They could have just had a guy with a fucked up eye who just goes about his regular old day. Instead, I'm like, oh, my God, the world needs to hear my thoughts. This is like, yeah, I, I'm kind of that way, too. Like, I've like recently I think that's why uh, that's why I like once was a heckler. Sure. We can. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it now. I'll put off I'll put off Terrence for a second. <laughs> yeah, I did mean to, to mention this because like. I think it might have been the same show I saw that guy doing the uh, the uh, uh, reading off the note cards or whatever practicing, but I was like, just like you know, feeling pretty lit. Went over to Surly Girl. I wish you could see how hard I'm shaking my head at Mel right now. Oh, he's shaking it hard. I I definitely heckled you, and I thought I was hilarious, but I was also very drunk. And you shut my ass down in a fucking couple of seconds. It was actually yeah. like to this day, I kind of feel like it was a work of art. <laughs> I'm not shitting you. It was just this control of the audience that you had. It was just like, you know, you made it funny, but funny because of you and not because of me. And that was clear. You made that very clear that the reason anything was funny had nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, and I, it changed me. <laughs> I don't remember that. Uh, well, you but, shouldn't. But, but like, it was important for me. But now I feel <laughs> now I feel very in awe of myself because uh, people also don't realize that like. I, I'm not really much of like an on the fly guy. Like I, I can do that in other situations, but like when I'm doing my jokes, I'm there to do the jokes, you know. So like it's hard to kind of get off that track. So you get uh, practice after a while, just being like, "Yeah, well, shut the fuck up." Like, and you were also hosting right. um, rather than so it's um, easier because I can. Just yeah, like, you weren't doing material, so you were like a little bit off the cuff anyway. In that case, well, I mean, we could we could talk about it after. Uh, after the therapy session. Well, I like. think yeah, let's get let's get let's get Terrence on. Because maybe T. I won't I won't yell at you as much if I get Dr. T on the phone. Because to be honest, like he's helped my friend a lot. He might be able to help you with this incest thing. <laughs> oh wait. Mel just titled my first ever stand up this incest thing. Made all that effort to do some cool, thoughtful joke about it, and just like your parents fucked. Well, most people's Oh, well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> he has no oh. idea what he's in for. Well, neither do we. That's true. All right, let's see what Dr. T has to say about all this. Oh, man, I hope Dr. T can help me. 
Well, he definitely helped my friend. And uh, hello. Hello. Is Terrence this, Bjornis? Is this this is Doctor Terrence Bjornis? Well, <laughs> I am not a doctor. My father trained me to say that I will never be a doctor. But I um for commonality purposes, and you know, if that's your pejorative for the phone call, then yes, you can call me Doctor T. Uh, it's fun that way, uh, but okay. I'm not a clinical psychologist. No, I'm an experimental therapist. I'd like to introduce you to my friend Travis. Uh, his his uh, his parents are cousins, and I think he might need your help. Hi, Doctor T. How are you? I'm good. Travis, what's your last name? Uh, my last name is Haywisher. Do you want me to spell it? That's fine. You don't need to spell it. Okay. Haywisher. What is that? What's that? What's the uh, genesis of that? Um, it's from white people. Uh, but primarily ones that came from Germany. Germany. Oh, wonderful. I have several German friends. My father is Swiss, and my mother is uh, from Sacramento. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, I thought we were, this is going to be the part of the podcast where comedians ask a professional, but you've got jokes, too. Uh, can I ask, uh, just to be on the same playing field, could you tell Thank us the, you. the origin of your name? Uh, the origin of my name, as I said before, um, is from my father, uh, Nernst Bjorn. Um, he was named after the Nernst equation. Uh, his father was a psychologist as well. And so was uh, my mother, his wife, uh, Tony Us. And instead of hyphenating a name, uh, she thought that they should be joined in union forever. So they just combined it to Bjornus. Bjorna. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Are you a professional charmer, or do you just do it on the side? <laughs> no, definitely semi-pro. Semi-pro, yeah, wonderful. What Semi-charm you, what kind of charmer. Okay, and I am a, I'm informed I'm supposed to be talking to comedians. Are you a comedian? Yes, semi-pro comedian. Wonderful. How often do you perform? Oh, God, once or three times uh, a half year. Oh, once or three times a half year. Yeah. You're like, you're kind of like an, an Aurora Borealis. Yes. Of comedy. My parents always told me that. <laughs> that That's great. Let's shine. So I don't know if I, you heard what Mel said, but I thought maybe you could help me with something I've been dealing with, which is uh, my parents, I don't want to say this too medically. I mean, I know I'm talking to a doctor, but I just feel like it's better to say it. Well, not. Okay. Sure, just yeah. In, I, I know I'm fun, talking to a... <laughs> well, for the phone call, we'll be calling myself. Sure. I, I will talk not technically medically for the not technically doctor on the other end. But um, my parents um, are related, and they fucked... And made a baby, oh, and yeah. I was one of them. And I know that sounds like a lot of, like, medical jargon, but if you could kind of sort through that. I want to know, um, is that punk? Is that, like, rad, or is that bad? No, it's completely normal for the German people. They don't like a lot of branches <laughs> on the tree. They like to keep it close to the chest, so to speak. Sure, so they keep the branches it's completely close to the fine. chest. Yes, yes. The gene pool is shallow over there, and trust me, I've encountered it several times before. I had a bully named Junt Scholen once, and he threw me into Lake Geneva while we were hiking. We were competing about who had the best trail mix, and uh, he didn't like it, and he called himself Wotan, the great god, or Wotan, as you guys would say it, but um, he didn't like me. But 
we got along fine because um, we would talk Jungian scholarship type stuff. But uh, that's just popular up there. Um, yeah, they uh, they like to keep it close to the chest. Yeah, they do. So it's not abnormal at all. Are you trained in this? Um, well, I have lived through several, um, I guess, permutations of my career, and uh, some of those did take place in uh, the Appalachian foothills, uh, which um, it is a common practice. And uh, do you have an opiate addiction? Uh, no, I do, I do take one Tylenol before bed uh, anally. Okay. Anally? Wow. Yeah. Well, that's funny, because in the 80s, there was a conspiracy that those caused AIDS. Really? Who created that conspiracy? I don't know, but I heard it once. It shocked me. It's very it was shocking. that in Bear Aspirin. They said that Ronnie Reagan put it into Bear Aspirin and Tylenol, but that wasn't true. <laughs> Do you have some uh, some therapeutic assistance for my friend Travis here? Because yes, I think we're I paying by the minute, right? Oh, yeah. Well, for sure. It's up to you. It's your, it's your dime. Or yeah, well, Lampshade Media isn't prefer. exactly a huge budget, but you're definitely affordable. for. Uh, you're, you're within our budget as long as, uh, as long as the intro doesn't go too long, you know? Right. Well, let me just, <laughs> being an experimental therapist, um, the process is experimental, the questions are experimental, and the answers are experimental. So just be free, relax, and um, we're just going to, as the uh, boxing TV shows say, let's get it on. Okay. <laughs> All right, um, Travis. I just swallowed a nickel. Heads or tails? <laughs> tails. Heads. Tough break. For okay. all of us. Right. All right. Off to a, a, a wonderful start. Am I doing um, good so let far? Let me see. I, oh, it's that you're doing excellent so okay. far. You really. It's just very nerve wracking really to awesome. like to like finally talk to an unaccredited psychiatrist and have them choke uh, on air with us, and so I'm just a little bit nervous. Yeah. Well. Okay. That's okay. Just relax. Like I said, even though I can't see you, taste you, touch you, feel you, or smell you, I'm here with you. Okay. Okay. Now, are you experiencing any acute pain? Um, I would. I want to lean towards no, but I don't know how you put diarrhea on that scale. <laughs> well, that can certainly be painful. I would say it isn't and acute. <laughs> I got one. You guys just missed it. Can someone? Did, can you use that? <laughs> pain that isn't acute <laughs> can you write you should write that down i honestly i, honestly I never wanted to didn't catch much of that because i was just again thinking about diarrhea oh okay okay well diarrhea is serious and it's uh very dehydrating if you've been drinking plenty of water uh no you think that's maybe the culprit extremely yes you should be drinking at least your body weight in water a day an ounce um, That's this true. Is, this is helpful because I've mostly just been Googling the phrase whiskey plus diarrhea for the last 30 days without making any oh. changes in my daily lifestyle. Oh, yeah. That's going to turn your tummy into a burlap sack, young man. Yeah, don't do that. Just guzzle the water like a horse. Guzzle it. You're German. You can handle that. I'm sure you have a, I'm sure you have a, a strong carriage and a delightful gait. 
They can handle all of the beer and water you want. Why anyway, do I feel like all of a sudden I, you're talking about me like a horse that's about to be put down? No, no, excuse me for a second. Wait a second. I just opened my window. No, you get on the bus. No, 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 Are you? Sorry, I had to yell at a man waiting on a bus. I'm in my apartment, and he won't stop looking this way. But anyway, oh, man. you should go yeah. and talk to him. I can't leave my apartment very much. You know that, Mel. But oh, I'm sorry. Maybe you don't. Wait, I don't. Usually, people. I would like to hear that. Okay, story. well, well, um, my father, being a clinical psychologist, uh, when he divorced my mother, um, was a master of hypnosis, and he would put me under hypnosis, and he would fill me with several triggers, which I have yet to discover. And as I live, I begin to unfold these mysteries that have been inhabiting my brain and pathology for you know my whole life. So as they happen, I begin to dissect them and discover them. As a, a good clinical psychologist will tell you, revenge is a, is a dish best served by exploiting pathology. So I've had to deal with that. And while I'm unpacking these, I've discovered the means by which my parents lived and through science and education. Is that a good answer? That is uh that's a lot of that's a lot of unpacking there. But what that's about uh, unpacking? I was mostly just creating nine inch nails album titles through all this the random phrases you were using. <laughs> what is that? What is what is that? That's uh, uh it's a it's a it's a rock band. Industrial oh. yeah. exclusively rock band. No role. Okay, well, unless they were on To Catch a Rising Star in 87 or the Tom Snyder show, I have no idea who you're talking well, about. Well, I, I got to tell you, Dr. Bioners, I am very uh, <clears throat> I'm very eager to hear this uh, this uh, diagnosis. What do you, have, you, have you got anything yet, or do you need some more information, or what? I, like, I just, just one more question. Hold all right, on. just the one? Hold on, just one second. I've got some socks in the oven. And they're drying out. It did rain today. So the final question involves your parentage, and it deals with your conception. This is a part of my main thesis here. Now, Travis, I need you to go back, all the way back to the beginning, and imagine yourself as your mother's egg inside of her. There's calm. There's warmth. I'm sorry, did you say calm? Stay calm. Yes, of okay. course. Yep. Check. So you're the egg inside of your mother. This is after, obviously, she has met your father, one of her cousins. Sure. So you're the egg, resting, stasis, inert, just before your father's sperm reaches you as the egg. What song is playing? What song do you hear? It's a rock and roll hoochie coo by Rick Derringer. Oh, Rick Derringer. That's fun. That would be, that is a totem of your conception. You can follow that throughout your entire life. Rock and roll hoochie coo by Rick Derringer. A gun, an extension of the penis. A hoochie coo. Might be a woman's vagina. In this case, it probably is because it was the 70s. 
this is interesting because earlier this week I asked that question, and one of the answers was My Seven Bizos by Two Live Crew. Who did you ask the question to? Just to anyone? He can't tell you that. Uh, He's a professional. I can only tell you that it was um, Don Halifax uh, from 316. Molten Lane. But anyway, uh, the other answer, popular answer, is also from the 70s, is Three Dog Night, Mama Told Me Not to Come, which is ironic, I think. (laughs) But I think you can work this out through the existence of a violent occasion of your conception in creating peace and serenity. Was it violent? I'm sorry? Did you say violent occasion? Yes. What was violent about it? Sperm colliding into the egg is always a violent occasion. How do other sperm and egg come together? Why is mine so violent? They're all violent, but in your case, particularly because of the aggressiveness of the song, (laughs) something was happening in your father's brain and your mother's brain, maybe because it was dangerous, because they knew their blood, as shallow as the pool was, was going to mix. Now, it's important that you do not get hung up on uh, uh, diagnoses and uh, results because you can have a diagnosis paralysis, which is the bane of an experimental therapist's existence. And also one of my favorite Rick Derringer songs. Right, it is. And, uh, oh, you guys, I've got to go. I have to go. My, I, I think I have we a have like has a most of a minute left. I'm sorry, I can't. I just I have a patient. Um, I have a red phone. It's kind of like the nuclear, uh, you know what I mean, like what a president would have. But like it's just a fun phone? phone that I have. It's a landline. Yeah, I have a landline for special cases that I run to answer. And um, this is a special one. Um, a young man went to a, a Scottish pub uh, in Edinburgh, obviously, and uh, he passed out in a bowl of minced meat. And uh, when he got home, he passed out again, and his trench pug ate his nose. So oh in God. reconstructing the yes, it's terrible. So he and can't you're just leave leaving that bone ring off the hook. Um, yeah, well, it's under a pile of clothes, so I have mm. to get it. I can see the clothes blinking through the light. But um, I've got to go. You guys are great. I've well, thank you so much. Much love to both of you, and Afita um, Zane. <laughs> it were yes. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you later, and uh, keep those funny stuff. Coming or whatever you guys do with your jokes and stuff, it's great. Call me back, please, again now, please. All right. Well, we thanks, yeah. Doctor T. I appreciate it, Doctor T. Traps, you'll be you'll be fine. Oh. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Bye. Well, well, that's it. Well, Travis, do you feel better? Like, no. Uh, well, <laughs> well, I mean, not about my parents, but I mean, I feel better about comedy. Uh, <laughs> Because, you know, like some people, um, you know, people can grow up to be non-accredited, not therapists. Yeah, or they grow all up these to be, fucking millennials. Or they could grow up to be, you know, like solidly funny local comedians and actors. Like you can go any way with that. Yeah. You know, so like I feel like being an accredited semi-pro uh, free magazine journalist, like I've kind of exceeded what Dr. T is even achieved with his, with his to toot your own horn i mean dr t's made it a long way you don't know where he's come from i was gonna say i was only saying that because <laughs> i thought dr t was so low that it was not tooting my own horn to say i've done better than him 
I feel I feel like real editor of a free magazine is still above my dad told me I can't tell him when I'm a doctor. <laughs> like unaccredited unaccredited uh family therapist family practice I feel like is uh still beneath real magazine editor for free. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I I've made a free magazine, but uh <laughs> I don't think I was ever any competition to uh, 614. <laughs> Everybody can swim in the same pool, baby. I picked up in the record store. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, uh, that, was a, that was an interesting time. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I think it's interesting that uh, the local music scene uh, has been uh, growing, and it's been gr- it feels like, to me, like it's been there forever. Right. Like when I talk to, for example, the, you know, the dude that made cringe.com, by the way, everybody, if you want to know what the fuck to do in Columbus, Ohio, just go to cringe.com. Joel Treadway. Yeah. Uh, Joel, I, I, I actually uh, had him on in the record store once and he was right. talking about like he I, and I've talked to him so many times in different bars around the city, mostly like Dick's Den or Brothers Drake. But like. This comedy, or I'm sorry, this this music scene has always been here, and he's like, you know what I mean, like kind of like seen different iterations. You've kind of like been there a little bit with the comedy scene, and it's always, uh, it's 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 just always growing and developing. And to be honest with you, I think that the comedy scene is like, it, it it's weird to me that there's a lot of comedy podcasts out there. But they're made by comedians, and when I was when I was doing local music podcasts and and promoting local music, there's like six local music podcasts right now. Well, shit, like we need to give some attention over to to the comedy scene, right? Which I love. I mean, I I sat there and listened to the first two episodes because I was just like, sometimes I just want a local podcast, and I want that. Like, I mean, I don't know. Have you ever been like driving down the road? Like, podcasts be damned. You're driving down the road, and you're like, I want to turn on local radio. There's local talk radio, but local talk radio doesn't actually talk about the local scene that we that we inhabit, right? Yeah. Like it wouldn't be for everybody, but every once in a while I would love to be able to just be like, "Hey, let's uh let's have a conversation about Rumba Cafe. Let's have a conversation about Rock Potluck. Let's talk about yeah, Ace of yeah. Cups." So like I I'm actually super for stuff like this because uh it's it's a lot more entertaining sometimes to hear other people in the comedy scene besides myself uh, talk about things that they wouldn't necessarily talk about on stage. And also it just like, it just gives you a little bit of a better idea of like little pockets of the local culture. Yeah. I mean, obviously like art like appeals to people in in different ways, but I feel like, and and actually like this is uh, leading me into something I wanted to talk to you about. I feel like everybody has a connection to comedy inherently, right? Because, like, I mean, I feel like I'm the funny guy at parties. I'm not a, I'm not a fucking stand-up, obviously. I learned that uh, that fateful night at Surly Girl. But <laughs> <laughs> No, that's not the same, because you could have been a stand-up if you stood up. <laughs> but I was You sit- did ah, fucking stand up. I, you I was sat sitting down. down. Exactly. But, at an open mic, you're like, bitch, this is open. But, Get up there. 
again, back to this uh, same thing I'm leading to is uh, you do this show called Everybody's a Comedian. Yeah. And and I wonder, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder if the reason I feel like I suck so bad at Everybody's a Comedian is because you shamed me so harshly. You think so? Surly Girl. Maybe that just fucked my Maybe I need to go call Dr. T. Talk to him about this. I, I, I seriously recommend never calling Dr. T ever again. Um, <laughs> not because he's a bad guy. I just don't think we got a lot done. Um, no, here's the funny part is that, like, comedy is about trying different shit, right? You know? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's really what it is. That's what that's what everybody in Columbus right now that's going to an open mic or more every week, they're just trying different shit. Like, I'll shout him out on this podcast. I remember when he first started and he was nervous, but I liked him because I was like, this is the kind of guy that's going to not be afraid to throw up weird shit and try shit, which is Dave Berkey, who's now, I think, one of the stronger comedians yeah. in the Columbus scene. But I, I even realized Funny early. fuck. Yes. I, like, not only that, but he does a thing that most comedians aren't good at. He's ultra funny on social media. He is the funniest comedian in Columbus on Facebook, in addition to be funny, being funny on stage. <laughs> Like, he has mastered the, like, one or two sentence status update. It always gets me. It's always funny. But anyway, uh, yeah, lost, I think. We were so. talking about everybody's a comedian. Yeah, I was saying, like, I love, I love, I think I'm more of a facilitator now than I am a performer. I also perform as well. But, like, I used to love that if people wanted to see me do stand-up, I would be like, hell yeah. I definitely am itching to go on stage and put on a show. But my, my very, very closely favorite part was that I was going to curate the lineup behind me and be like, I was equally as excited for them to see Laura Sanders, Nikki Winkleman, Corey Baxter, Sumak Torgalker, all these people. Like, like Every time it would be different. So I, I probably took as much pleasure in performing as I did being like the curator of being like, for $10 or for $5, you're going to walk away from this being like, holy fuck. Like, local comedy is way better than I ever thought it was. Yeah. So, well, so I, got that, I got that personal drug myself. And then I got the drug of seeing people react to a show that I created. And then the extra awesome shit in between, which is that, like, my friends got paid and my friends got free drinks. Yeah, And we all partied and we went home and, you know, like high-fived. You know, like that was so much of when I was doing things that people might have said, like, is building Columbus comedy. I wasn't building Columbus comedy. I was hopeful that, like, more people would see yeah. more acts. But I was mostly just trying to create a win-win-win. <laughs> a situation where, like, people I know would see more local comedy. My friends would get an awesome experience with some cash. And I would also get that drug of being, like, Hell yeah, let's go up there. So I learned to be to enjoy being a facilitator as a booker as much as anything. And that probably carried over into my six one four stuff, right? Like like as much as I also want to write my own words and get my own message out, I also just really as time went on got even more and more enjoyment out of being like, I want to present this whole magazine to you. I was I was I got more and more proud that like this collection of photographers, graphic designers, illustrators, and writers and subjects are like this 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like, like. Well, yeah. It's it's like, this gr- it's this grand little like pocket of Columbus that I could present. You're dealing every month. with you're dealing with like the best of the best or whatever, the best of Columbus, I, I guess, in uh, both cases. And when it so, what's interesting is a facilitator. When it comes to everybody's a comedian, like it's just you, but it's all these people that come to Little Rock, and w- that's Wednesdays. So yeah, so it's every Wednesday, and like yeah, we're like we're jamming but, like, in there, but. But like you're still like, like is that is that facilitator thing like does that correlate there? I think so because like because are people like feeling like free to like to like release there and like do that shit and grow out of it? Well, yeah. Except the the difference is it's all it's almost like uh you know when you go bowling they put the bumpers in like I'm 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 the bumpers for like people who are like per, like prospective first time open micers. Oh shit! Okay. So okay. it's like. So it's like, and and you know that's obviously very individualized because. So now you're actually like like in a nursery kind of uh, respect there. You're actually nursing some like potential potential comedy because they don't go up. They sit down and write down yeah. answers to to questions that I've come up with. Yeah. Some of the shit they write is fucking brilliant. Yeah. And some of the shit they write is terrible. You've read a couple of my jokes on there, and and I was exactly. so goddamn proud of myself. Exactly. Like. I and this kind of gets back to the beginning of our conversation, right? Like it's a drug. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that so few people get to actually feel. Well, yeah, my daddy didn't tell me I, he loved me, so <laughs> exactly. so what I need is for Travis uh, Haywisher to tell me he loves me. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> actually, that's extra. Sad. Like this is not the Wonder Doug episode. <laughs> like, daddy, tell Travis I love me. I love you, Doug. I always. Love yeah, you. yeah, <laughs> but. No, but it, what's funny about that is that, like, you know, typically, Daddy not saying that you that he loved you would make you like a prime candidate to be a stand-up comedian. But instead, like, that's not the way it went. But well, no, what's great is that, like, I get to watch people that I know for a fact would never be like they would never consider going on stage. Yeah, right. In fact, when people come in and I tell them what the game is and I say it's called Everybody's a Comedian, there's an initial feeling of panic. Of them being like, no, 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 thanks. If I have to go on the mic. And then there's also a group of people who are like, do I get to go on the mic? <laughs> and, could you, and, and can you imagine how, like, the results are flip-flopped compared to those two groups? Uh-huh. The ones that are fucking dying there's to get on the mic. There's material, and then there's performance. The ones that are dying to get on the mic usually write down something that they are certain is going to murder, and it doesn't. Because mm-hmm. in 20 years, I've seen fucking everything so like to really get through like my goalie it's got to be unique and weird or just simple and funny right yeah like like no 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 like you know howard stern baba booey shit andrew dice clay is is coming past me that's not my style because i don't want to make the rest of the crowd uncomfortable so i have to read the jokes that come through out loud, and I have a choice whether I read them or I don't read them. Yeah, if they if they want to get a point, I read it out, if I read it out loud, they get a point. Yeah, yeah. So I get to be again the curator, the facilitator. Yeah. So I get to take a joke that I already think is funny, so I'm already <laughs> down for it. Yeah. I get to deliver it in a way that has a little bit more nuance to it because I've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah, you can actually perform the material. Yeah, and somebody in the crowd gets to sit there and go like. And hear me say their joke. And then, without any of the pressure of being on stage, they get to sit 
in the room and watch the room crack up at their joke. Yeah. And I never did it for that reason. I did it because I was like, cool. And that's, then that's, if that's it like, bombs, they also get to hide in anonymity. Mm-hmm. There's no cost. Other than the personal shame of uh, of of bombing, even though no, you know what I mean. It's <laughs> and it's brilliant, and it's a and it's just kind of a brilliant construct because if it bombs, that actually falls more to me. Because if it bombs, oh that, shit! Because that's bom- a that's a judgment on you. Yes. You you chose that. Yeah. That that that. Line. So it's like if, if you're David Letterman and you tell a joke and it bombs, the writer's not, not a writer. fault. Yeah, not really. Okay, that's on David Letterman. So it's almost like been a fantasy that I didn't even mean, mean to like play out that I'm almost kind of <laughs> playing like a David Letterman or a Conan where I'm just sort of like I get to take other people's jokes. Yeah. Even though I'm capable of writing my own jokes and performing them in a way that gives me a totally different feeling about performing and in my way like I feel like facilitating the idea of people getting a little taste of that drug. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I guarantee. And then I, maybe next time you'll see them at Barrel or uh, or Shrunken Head or maybe, whatever. Uh, or, or maybe never not. Maybe they just yeah, become the. Maybe ver- they just have an interesting night. Yeah, maybe they're just that version of person who like does karaoke. You know, like yeah, people that go up every once in a while and torch it at karaoke don't end up at the recording studio the next day. Right, right. They don't change their whole life. They're just like, fuck yeah, I didn't know you could do that. That's pretty rad. Yeah. So I see all different types of introverted, extroverted personalities sure. be so good at it, and it's so much fun to watch. I remember. I don't remember the setup that you gave for the for the for the bit, but I, I remember my line was or my my joke was that was comparing the vastness of the universe and all of its splendor and magic to the size of my penis. And uh, and 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 I and I was just so happy that I could tell a dick joke that I thought that was funny. <laughs> You know what people really, really love to write down that I hate to say this is a hard and fast rule because it can be funny, but people think that just writing the word cum is funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they they only go that far. <laughs> and also, and here's the thing, like just back to back yeah, to Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of Adam Sandler going on in my back in the back right. in the day. At least Sandler <laughs> would do a voice. You can't, you can't write a voice. <laughs> Um, it's funny because we talk about before you and I really knew each other and you were you were a heckler, like that stuff happens there too, where like people he, are heckling at everybody's a comedian. Yeah. And I fucking scream. This is a goddamn heckle proof show. I'm asking you to write it down. Write it down. This yeah. is your show. Write the but joke th- down. But then sometimes they will heckle themselves in a heckle proof show. And by that I and mean, and you know that that's the person that wrote this one, and they heckle the joke they wrote. No, that, but this is actually more complex. That happens too. This is like they will come up to me personally after the round is over and be like, "Hey, man!" Like one dude was like, "Hey, you didn't think it was funny when I wrote um, a woman doing a snow angel and come?" And I was like, "Well, what is my face doing right now?" <laughs> I'm like, you just fucking called me over. You just trolled yourself. Like, could you ever imagine? Could you ever imagine a stand-up comedian being like, go to one individual audience member and be like, you, I noticed you didn't laugh when I did that jerk-off joke. Let me tell it to you again. And she's just like, no, not yeah, caring never, for it. This guy also like makes a woman say no twice, I'm sure. Yeah, kind of, yeah. It, so it's so it's it's shown me an amazing... Uh, amazing uh, polar opposites of like the access to comedy like 
and I still think it's true mostly to this day, the people that mostly self-identify as funny fucking are not. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> no, you're I, funny. I, like, you're I, I, I'm funny. I'm fun at parties and, you know, that kind of shit. Like, there's, a, you know, but if, that's, but a, that's like, a thing. But since I find you a funny person, if I heard you saying to somebody, I'm a funny guy, I would fucking assault you. <laughs> Thank you. Because Thank it's you. not because I couldn't imagine myself t- telling somebody I'm funny. That's my point. Yeah. Like, like, but the so the people that yeah, I see, show up or shut up, right? And it's not just that game; it's in <laughs> life, right? I feel like the people that the people that show up at a comedy show and heckle are the equivalent of people that show up at my game and say, "Oh, hell yeah, I'm gonna crush at this," because they get to do it uh-huh. under the same veil of anonymity. But that's why it doesn't work, because the fucking hubris doesn't actually work. What people want to see is relatability. They're cool with weirdness or fake hubris, but uh-huh. real hubris where you go on stage and try to pretend yeah. like you're Dave Attell without the 20 years of experience. Yeah, everything that built Dave Attell, none gonna, of that. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to fucking eat it. Yeah. That is like... The th- I don't know. That is like the thing is like like time served and like that kind of maturity that comes out. I don't know. People can fucking read that a mile away. I feel like the, like when you like are trying too hard and you're trying to impress and you're not putting the time in. I don't know. People just like it's maybe not time. It's it's just are you doing it organically? Yeah. It's not really like a. I don't think there's like a you know. I was equating time to uh to work like you're not yeah, doing the work. Totally. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's a better way to kind of like yeah, create that construct, but Yeah, thanks for the clarification there. That's that is what I intended yeah. like the, the 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 meaning to be is like you know, you're not going to go there and like dig the ditches involved in creating good comedy or whatever, but you're going to like act like <laughs> because you know, you you're not afraid or something that that confidence doesn't expand. Just the fearlessness doesn't expand to actually being funny. Well, not by itself. Yeah, it can. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Where it's like you, you cannot go in and impersonate art that you care about. However, you can't go in with like zero construct or zero sort of mechanism for what it's supposed to look and feel like. Huh? You can't be like, well, I mean, look, I shouldn't say you can't. Uh, Andy Kaufman could. Yeah. And a very very minute minute number of people could but mostly you cannot just say comedy is what i want and throw everything away mostly you cannot do that like that's yeah. why those people are legends you don't, but andy kaufman worked his ass off to create uh the uh, characters he did right yeah in but, the in the in the impressions he did but but work to me is like a incidental uh variable in the equation okay because I think Andy Coffin was just he fucking was, out of his mind and brave and weird. And like So it wasn't like he was single minded or devoted to a cause. He was just doing Andy Kaufman. I think so. Yeah. I think there's journalists that are like that. I think there's film directors that are like that. I think there's musicians that are like that. You know, like is David Byrne committed to a certain style of music or is he just making the music that a person like David Byrne would make. Yeah, this is starting to sound like some free will uh, shit. Like <laughs> A little bit. Right? Well, so in your 
this is interesting now because now I'm thinking about how you're developing uh you're you're developing a comedy in 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 the in the fucking plebes <laughs> in the hecklers of society you're like all right hecklers come on to me I will teach you the the ways of comedy and you're also like working with Dick and Jane and for those that don't know uh Dick and Jane is has been for how long how long has dick and jane been around because i know we interviewed them on in the record store when i was working with that podcast uh like three years ago probably yeah it's been around since 2011 so it's been a long ass time and what they do is they uh uh, there's a there's like a ton of local musicians that uh, get together and they work with students in uh local high schools in columbus and middle schools middle schools sometimes high school but okay middle schools yeah and they, I should just let you explain yeah, this. Yeah, this is my job now. Um, back when I was talking in the podcast about, um, when I was talking about using the position at 614 to soak up everything I could culturally, part of that was being, like, serving on nonprofit boards. And so Dick and Jane Project was something in, founded by a guy that I was friends with through the Columbus music scene. His name was Ben Shinneberry, and Ben asked me to be a part of the board when he first started the board. So I was actually the first board president and has have been on the board ever since. So I've been on the board since. So this is nothing new to you. No, no. I, this has been my charity of choice. This has been my nonprofit sort of passion for the last eight years. And then when I left the magazine, turns out they were looking for somebody to take on a development role. So now I work for the organization that I helped build at least from a board standpoint, from the ground up and have this sort of history with, and now I get to work for them full time. So I like to say that it is a writing program with a musical outcome. We got some of the best musicians, producers, engineers, uh, people in town working with students and helping them just create songs that, that they're thinking about. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, every musician that's on a poster, and I mean, I'm literally sitting in like some sort of weird usual suspects <laughs> type thing. He's I'm, looking around. He's seeing all the familiar names. Yes, I'm looking around the room and I see <laughs> Camp, Orange Judio, George Berry, Doc yeah. Robinson. Um, yeah, like, but but if you think about all the things that I love in the world, I mean, I could not be more lucky that this is where I ended up. Like, we are taking kids that don't have to have any musical ability whatsoever and we talk about and we and we teach them songwriting as a form of self-expression. So uh, one of our one of our colleagues recently put it very well, where she said, "Like all you have to do is show up and share. That's the only thing that's required. You don't need a trombone or a trumpet or a guitar. Mm-hmm. You don't need to actually like be able to hold a tune or carry a tune. Like you just show up and you tell our musicians that we pay to be there." What's going on in your world? What you care about? What you're excited about? What you're worried about? And um, and from there, these musicians, which, by the way, I would be super thrilled just to be a part of a nonprofit that pays musicians because we need that. But secondarily, I get to be a part of a, an organization that teaches students that writing is not just what you do for school, and it's something that actually is will lead you down several different paths of creativity. At the end of this, we have a song that has been created by, created by in the studio, um, Columbus musicians, and has been written and directed, produced by, like five to ten Columbus middle school students, and we've made a hundred, oh, yeah. we've made a hundred and twenty songs, with almost thirty different schools, 
and a thousand kids in eight years. That's amazing. That's fucking bonkers. Yeah. And people don't really know. That's incredible. That is, uh, yeah, that is, uh, that's nurture there. Yep. Pretty that much. Is some, that is some fucking nurture, man. I wanted to, th- I forgot to, uh, I forgot to elaborate. This is actually the first episode of our new brand change. And, and I would be, I would be, I would be remiss if I didn't like just like double down on the fact that we're really like excited about this new name search party for your wife that Walta came up with and <clears throat> Walta is uh fucking incredible, but like, yeah, search party for your wife. I feel like is going to appeal to almost everybody that's listening to a uh, local Columbus comedy podcast. So I'm very excited about the brand change, and and I'm very excited that that Travis got to be the first guest on the new brand, which we have actually uh, already begun the process of creating stickers and buttons and uh, some T-shirts lined up. What <laughs> we are uh, we are really committed to this uh, this brand change, so uh, uh, we're we're gonna be getting this uh, this merch out to you guys soon, uh, Travis. How do you feel about being the first guest on uh, on this on this uh, new uh, this new endeavor this new uh, vision that we have uh, that Walta has uh, given us? I love the title. What is it again? It's uh, Lampshade Media presents Search Party for Your No, I'm, I I misspoke. Yo wife. Yo wife. With a it's just they dropped the U R, but it's just the yo. I mean, as a, I mean, as a day one listener. I remember the feeling of ownership I felt when I was like, yes, Lampshade Media presents Chuckle Fucks. It doesn't really get more. Oh, that name is, yeah, that was horrible. I, but to me, that that's how I came in. You know, it's like Jimmy Page used to be in the Yardbirds and that became Led Zeppelin. Like, that's kind of like my OG entry point. Like, I'm a, I'm a Chuckle Fucks guy. So okay. that's kind of how I... Mean- I so feel, I'm not saying you stay with it. I understand. I feel like I understand. I brands. feel like I was completely like, I feel like we're just on a constant growth pattern, like with some of these names, and now we're ready to actually leave the the ground, you know, with search party. Which I get it. I'm saying like, your wife. like when 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 a brand is molten red hot, yeah, you got to just let it ride. I'm just saying like that's how I came in. You know, like that they say like I'm an old head. Like I'm a like I'm a. Yeah, I'm an OG guy. I'm a I'm a yeah. chuckle fox guy. Um so with that being said, uh I feel like and here's I have a lot of respect for Walter. Tell me again. <laughs> wait, tell me again. I it, it's it's Lampshade Media presents Search Party for your wife. Okay. I mean if you want to go with that, search party for your wife. Um, by the way, the merch will go through the roof. Um, I hope so, because we put a lot of money in it. So, oh, shit. What this, is, you, this is weird. I can write at the end. but uh, <laughs> Are you? What, what a, okay. What a, you know, this is not the first time I felt this way, Travis. Like, I feel like you're starting to question the thing that I've committed myself to. I don't know. If, I don't know if you see my face and the noise that I'm making in the microphone. It's like, kind of a, uh, are you? Are you serious? I. 
I know like, you believe in stand-up comedy, and specifically Columbus comedy, so I, I want to see this do well. I think as a person experienced in comedy and media, I would be remiss and I would be not doing my duty if I let you go forward with something, something to your wife. <laughs> which maybe what? indicates which maybe indicates the weakness of that brand. The the search party for your wife brand? Yeah. I forgot the part other than your wife. Oh, well. Oh, my God. Like, I've got, I mean, if uh, you want, if you want, I have, I might just rename it panic attack right now again. <laughs> Calmer than you are, bro. You might be having a panic attack. I, I, oh, look, my I've got God. options if you need them. What do you got? What do you got for me? I need something right now do because, want, like, I have no one, confidence do you want anymore. One choice or do you want three? You can pick out of three. Are you shitting me right now? Yeah, yeah. I can pick out of three. Yeah, that's what brings like, about. You gotta make. You gotta. I pick. don't. I can't pick a name. Like I, that's the whole fucking problem. I'm gonna give you three options. All right, all right, fine. Give me yeah. three. Give me three. Okay. One. Fuck Brad. <laughs> Two. Hot dog man. <laughs> Three. Barack Hussein Ocasio Cortez. <laughs> Those are your options. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! This podcast is gonna get flagged. <laughs> That's the best I could do at improv. I just thought it'd be funny to start with Barack Hussein and then see where it went. <laughs> And you came up with Ocasio Cortez. It has a rhythm, does it not? <laughs> Unfortunately, it has a rhythm for like like several of our fucking great uncles. Oh my god! So I got I got some serious options yeah. here. All right. <laughs> Goddamn B H A O C. Well, we can't we can't end this episode, which has gone incredibly long. And and, and thank God you don't have anywhere to be. But I can't end this episode until we. Until we pick a name for for this, because I got a lot of rebranding to do, which is a constant, seeming a constant struggle in my life. Rebranding constantly, it seems like now. But I think I just need one of three names that will end this fucking struggle of rebranding. Hey, you want them clicks? Barack Hussein Ocasio Cortez is going to be lighting up Google. <laughs> You can hit it on both sides. Oh man! And you know, uh, as a person that uh, that works in the news business and is also funny as fuck, I feel like uh, I feel like that is really uh, just both sides of the fucking fence. Exactly. Yeah, I like I like that you're filling up right now on whiskey before we're about to end because I'm about to cut your ass off as soon as these mics turn off. <laughs> But yeah, all right. Well, I think I choose option C. B H A O C. B H A O C. See, you can call it B H A O C. That's what we'll call it in on the, the interwebs. In the metadata, exactly. Yeah, on the interwebs. I got good news. I got good news, listeners. Uh, I hope I hope you're all as drunk as I am, and if you're not, I hope you're getting there. But I got great news for you. Uh, thanks to the just the cunning and genius of Travis Haywisher who is not Travis Haywisher, by the way, <laughs> even though it looks that way when you read it. Okay, it's Haywisher. 
Okay. Jesus Christ, people. Anyway, um, yeah, the new name is now Lampshade Media Presents. Barack Hussein Ocasio-Cortez. I want to thank you. That is B-H-A-O-C. That is, that is going to end my search. All right. It's been fucking great to talk to you and uh, just, you, so uh, you know, just having you in the, in the, in the studio has been a blast. And uh, yeah, go check out uh, check out what Travis is doing. Uh, look into Dick and Jane, and come out on come out to fucking uh, uh, Little Rock on Wednesday night. Every and, Wednesday uh, at nine and, o'clock. Uh, try and be a fucking comedian. Every Wednesday at nine <laughs> o'clock, Little Rock Bar in Italian Village. Travis Avisher has been fucking great, dude. Good talking to you. Thank you, Melchior. <laughs> Produced by Lampshade Media. Edited by Tyson Shipman. Music by Tyson Shipman. Voiceover by Austin Hoover. And Mel did things too. Special thanks to Donnie Mossman and Griffin Browning for graphic design. And Paddywagon Food for sponsoring our live events.